to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, Kerry Bull here on Family Voices Podcast and it's a pleasure to introduce you to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Carrie. It's lovely to be here. Ah, great to have you on board. Could you tell us a bit about your family, Sarah? Yes, so I have um, three grown-up children. Um, Ashley, who is 30, Ashley was born here in Australia. And then my second daughter, Maddie, was born in the UK. She's 28. And then Ben came two years after Maddie, and he was also born in the UK. Ah, so you've, uh, and now you're back in Australia. I've been back about 11 years. So Ben came back here when he was 15. Okay. So you you had his early childhood was in the UK. Yeah, but still very similar processes in play. Can you take us back to those early days with Ben as a hub yeah. and, and tell us about him? Yeah, so Ben was born, um, he was induced early because he had a rather large head. So the doctor said, oh, we'll, we'll bring him a couple of weeks early to save you more sort of stress. Anyway, so I had been normally, everything was fine, normal delivery. Um, we took him home the same day or I think the next day. He was a nice big baby, beautiful boy, but he did have a big head. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, he'll grow into that. Um, and nothing concerning in those first couple of months. But I have to say, um, and I suppose it's because I had the two girls and Ashley and Maddie, um, particularly Maddie, was very forward at, at, at a young age and you can't help but compare what you're expecting to happen with this third baby. So third baby is six months old and I'm thinking, hmm, third baby's not, he's not sitting up, he's not babbling, he's not making eye contact. Um, I don't even know if he can hear because there's no responses um, and he just had this really blank expression. So obviously that was a red flag for me um, and my husband too. But being that it was a boy, um, you know, people put it down to, well, he's a boy. They, they're just a little bit slower to develop. So, but the good thing is you obviously see the child maternal nurse and they do keep a track of all these developmental milestones. So at that time, up until a year old, he was placid, extremely placid, very slow to explore. 
The upside was, though, that he was very cuddly. He was a big, chubby baby, Mm -hmm. and he was cuddly. Um, And I just remember I would um, hold him, you know, cuddling him in the kitchen, listening to music, and he was happy doing that. That, that's all he seemed to need, plus food. He was voracious. Then he got to about a year old, and that's when he had a first, he had a seizure, and it, he just dropped, and that was very, very traumatic. And then from then on, we ended up in hospital, and he had a succession, a very quick succession of full-on seizures at a year old. So he was then put on anti-epilepsy drugs, um, which seemed to work. So I think because of that intervention as well, we were really looking at what is going on with Ben. Sure. He didn't walk or crawl at a year. And like I said, I was expecting him to do these things. And the fact that he was lying on the floor, I thought this kid's not even seeing the world. Mm-hmm. But he, he did start walking at about 18 months. Um, then I was very concerned about his behaviour so he went from being quite placid um, to sort of changing and being demanding and tantrums. So at two years old, very, very concerned. We started, um, I think the child maternal nurse got the paediatrician involved at that point yeah. and we had some assessments. Um, and the paediatrician then put us in touch with clinical psychologists Mm-hmm. who then started the assessment process about what possibly could be happening with Ben's development. She recognised there was a global delay. There was definitely um, the, the areas of autism that they talk about, communication, social um, delays, um, and basically what we did was we had to have other things checked out. So because he didn't turn to look at things if he heard a noise, we had his hearing checked. Yep. Because And that was probably from about 18 months to two years, his hearing was checked. He also had his vision checked. Everything was normal, which was great. The um, assessment with the psychologist, Debbie, was fantastic. And from that, he also was introduced to speech therapy, OT therapy. He was introduced to PECS, which is Picture Exchange Communication, from I think he was just three when he got introduced to that. He also, I forgot to mention, started at a nursery at two years old where they also had some speech support and socialising support happening for Ben. Yeah. He couldn't be left with other children. He, If he saw another child with a toy that he wanted, he would go and get it. If the other child wouldn't give it to him, he would bite them. He would take it. If he wanted it, he was going to have it. And he would become obsessed with certain toys So he was very much, um, I suppose, that autistic being obsessed with objects and just ignoring the people. Mm -hmm. So I think it was very clear to us what was going on with Ben. But the great thing was he had so much intervention. Mm -hmm. He had the picture exchange communication, which he didn't want to use. He didn't want to communicate, really. Um, He just felt that you should know what he wanted. He did start pointing but he would not verbalise. But eventually we got a whole sentence, like little three-word sentences going over time. And I do believe because of pets, that's probably why he ended up with language Mm. because it was there, it was being stimulated. Yeah, yeah. So you've described 
um, really good, solid assessment process in terms of medical assessments done in relation to his seizures, but also his hearing and his vision. And then you saw specialists like psychologists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists. But the other thing I think you've described for us so well, Sarah, is these early signs of autism. And um, Ben was diagnosed with autism at that time. But you've talked about even as an infant, you recognising a lack of facial expression. He wasn't responding to you in the same way as um, your daughters. He was a, a, a placid baby who was slow to explore. They're all um, recognised early signs of autism and, and you were seeing them in Ben at that very early stage. Yeah. I was mm. saying to people, he's not doing things. He's not doing things he should be doing. Mm. I think family members started getting a look on their face like, you know, as he got older of mm, maybe she's right, there is something going yeah, on. I'm, I'm interested in that because you were yeah. kind of onto things, Sarah, and, and really following up very early because of your worries when he was a, a tiny bub. But how, who did you talk to and, and how did people respond at that time? Because you mentioned earlier um, this sense of, oh, he's a boy and he might be a bit slower. Were yeah. people saying that to you or were they? Yes, you know, no, they were saying that to me. Um, but then you've got to think I was noticing things very early with Ben, which possibly, for example, if he'd been our first child, we wouldn't have known, we wouldn't have noticed. Um, my friends had boys as well. So they, their experience of boys was different to their to an experience with their girls. So a lot is put down to that sort of, that difference sometimes mm -hmm. early on. But I think um, I did notice family members would kind of look a little bit concerned sometimes when I would say something because I think it was starting to add up for them as well. And obviously yeah. as he got to a year and he didn't even crawl. Even though other people were, you know, friends or family were saying those things, you still persisted and you went and saw the oh, yes. child health nurse and the yes. pediatrician. Yeah. And they were good. I mean, look, it's not perfect. You you know, you get um, referred to one person and referred to another, then things don't always get followed up. Sometimes there's delays. And as a parent who's anxious and this, this child is growing, so we're looking at him, he's three, he's becoming four, he left the nursery, he ended up in um, a kindergarten where... He didn't have as much support because he was a little bit older um, and behaviours obviously got worse. He was yeah. really biting. He couldn't be left. Um, so what was helpful for you at that time, Sarah? What was helpful was getting the support he needed. So in terms of education, that is him having one-to-one -one support. I think that is so important for him to have had someone with him to enable him to engage with others safely. Yeah, so he needed extra supports to learn and develop. Yeah, yeah. So from the age we have classroom assistants that, especially now that, um, you know, children are, it's encouraged that children are in mainstream schools and have support because that early socialisation is so important. Mm -hmm. And to be around children that are doing the usual social things that children do, sharing, playing, turn-taking, that's really important. And, again, I think that is why Ben is as good as he is, is because he experienced all that. Yeah, that's this. lovely to hear. And, and he got that at home too, didn't he? He got lots of stimulation from his Absolutely. sisters. And can you 
tell us a bit about that, about yeah. they kind of were part of his learning. At the Maddie was the younger sister and she was just so beautiful with Ben. She almost, it's like um someone pointed out she would copy what mums do with their little ones. And because he presented even at three as being very young, she would treat him and, and look after him and show him things. She almost became like a little teacher to him. And Ashley and Maddie together, they would, uh, Ben had all his obsessions, Thomas the Tank Engine, and you'd think, well, girls aren't interested in that. But they would. They would set up his railway. They would play with it. He loved it because it was his his most his most fantastic pieces of toys being played with. Um, and they would play with it and he would just watch. So he wouldn't participate because that's not what Ben would do, but he would watch and learn from what they were doing. Yeah. And, and he also had a special relationship with his sisters, whereas he would bite other children and he was um, not having any any socialisation with other children in terms of playing with them. He would accept his sisters in his space. He would accept his sisters touching his toys, whereas he wouldn't accept that from others. So to him, they were a tool that was helping him play with his toys. Yeah, how fantastic for you to describe it in that way. And we've had a few family podcasts where parents have been talking about that, the important kind of role that siblings right. have. And, yeah. well, you know, it's the whole family, but siblings can really help with learning and development. And you've talked about that beautifully, yeah. And also, I mean, this reminds me, but we've got a trampoline because, you know, jumping up and down, that deep tissue pressure is so important for someone that's, with autism in a sensory way. And he um, got a lot of benefit for being on a trampoline and things like that. But because he was um, very unsure of his surroundings in terms of balance and navigating the world, they would grab him and do it with him. But they would also try, he never learned to do a, a roly poly or a somersault, but they would turn him over and one would have his legs and the other one would have his upper body and they would be turning him over on the trampoline, he would be giggling um, because even though he couldn't do these things, they were making sure he had the experience of doing those things. Yeah. Both of them have ended up being extremely nurturing and understanding of disability. Um, Ashley's ended up being a teacher and particularly very good with special needs children. Yeah, it's so often, don't we, from families yeah. this this learning about uh, empathy from siblings, yeah. And because they were children, they were intuitive about it. They just knew. Whereas I had to learn what to do for Ben and my husband had to learn what to do for Ben to help him. They they knew intuitively. But, I mean, in talking about siblings, I do feel that there were times that the girls um, had to make their own way because mum and dad were busy with Ben and Ben's routine became so obsessive and dominating of the whole household. I was concerned and anxious for a long time about the effect on the girls mm. and their development. Mm. And the best thing was having a diagnosis was mm. great. Once you've got that diagnosis, they understand what is going on. And yeah. obviously it's different for every child, but there's reasons for why he's doing certain things. Yeah, so the diagnosis, sorry to, to interrupt, I just was wondering then, you said the diagnosis was so important. It was important for you to be able to have a, 
a name for what was going on to talk with the girls about? Is that what you were telling me? No, no. It was important because with that diagnosis came an understanding and, and a way forward with therapies. Okay. And also it meant we also got the help we needed. So we had a psychologist come in basically into the home and she would watch what was going on and work out how to support Ben in a way that, yes, he has obsessions, he has things he has to do. If you interrupt them, he's going to have a meltdown. But how do we minimise those sorts of things so that the girls also have their moment to watch TV? So it's about balancing his needs against theirs but also understanding we're not going to stop a lot of his behaviours but we can minimise some of them to make it more comfortable for the family, and I think that is really important. Mm-hmm. So the diagnosis led to um, resources and support. And yeah. I'm wondering too, Sarah, because you had been so worried about his development from when he was a tiny infant, did it also give some validation for you? That, that, that- Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely, because, um, you know, there is a stigma and... Oh, my gosh, you know, I think about when I used to go to church every Sunday with the kids and, of course, having been there, you know, some of the older people would say quite shocking things like, oh, isn't he naughty and all, you know, you felt judged by his Mm behaviour. And I think um, to be able to say, well, he has autism, you know, that's part of the the issue with his behaviours is his autism. Um, But I think it's becoming so much better now with inclusion. Yeah. As we have more and more inclusion in the community and also included in bowling and, you know, social groups, all of that stuff. So it's real inclusion, not just, you know, that sort of ad hoc inclusion. The The younger generations are getting it. Exactly. They're growing up with everyone in together, going to kindergarten together and learning about uh, diversity at a very young age, aren't they, through their experience. Yeah, so it's very, very different um, now than when Ben was a very small child. Can we go back? I just want to clarify in terms of Ben's diagnosis, how old was he? So, look, at the age of three, um, Debbie, the psychologist, did an assessment and said that according to the triad of impairments for autism, Ben is consistent, but she was unwilling to give him the label ASD at that time. But as time went on, as each professional came involved, it became more of a definite diagnosis. Right. Well, in those days, uh, that age was pretty young to be making a diagnosis. But uh, now, of course, we're much better at early signs and children are being um, diagnosed with autism uh, much younger, you know, 18 months, two years. It's amazing, isn't it? Because you think about that, that was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But another 25 years before that, they weren't even diagnosing autism. So it's we've come so far haven't we? Mm. There's so much more help available. Um, you know, the help is there, but you have to have that drive also, I think, to seek it out. And the problem is, I think, for parents is they are tired. Mm-hmm. They become tired. You know, if they've got other children, you don't always have the wherewithal to follow up on phone calls. Like, what's happening with that referral? Why am I not seeing someone? 
Um, but now it's different with the supports in place now. Mm-hmm. They possibly have a caseworker or a support coordinator that can help support them with that type of thing. Yeah. So so how is Ben getting on now? What's he up to? So Ben is, it, it's amazing. Um Ben has language, although it's quite stilted. It's almost like he's learned it out of the phrase book, but he has many, many, many words. He can he can express himself. He can talk. Socialising is still very difficult for Ben. He has developed friendships but really relied on family. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that he's a, he's a grown man, it's a little bit more difficult to get him socialising. But he has his interests and he sets himself up. So he has, he'll he'll plan his day for the next week. He'll have all his days planned. He goes to a day program where he goes swimming and he does things like that out in the, lots of things out in the community. But I remember when the NDIS first came in, um, they did a little article on Ben and I was there too, obviously. And I was talking about, love on the spectrum sort of thing, my hope for Ben one day is that he will have the opportunity to form a relationship, to Mm -hmm. fall in love and to have that. Mm -hmm. So that was my hope for Ben then. And I think these extra supports now is definitely going to help him progress towards that goal. Sarah, if you um, think about a lot of the parents that are listening to the podcast are parents of young children, What would you say to them if they were concerned about their child's development? I would say absolutely the sooner you can get intervention, as soon and it might not mean you need to get a diagnosis, but you need to have an idea of what is it we're addressing, what are the issues with this young person, what can we do to remove some of the barriers. So if communication is a barrier, if socialising with others is a barrier, how do we support that little guy to overcome some of those barriers? We're not going to cure those, you know, those issues, but helping them live in this world is really what it's about and having quality of life as well. So if they don't relate to others, how do we help them relate to others, to understand that others have feelings and needs? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of support, but we also need to give them the best tools that they can have and a communication, you know, it's it's easier for a three or four-year-old to use technology for communication. Mm-hmm. So let's do it when they're young so then they have the colours of communication to work with. Yeah. It's a win-win. The earlier you start, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also for a lot of parents, there's a little bit of a grieving process too when you find that your child is not developing the same way but what can they do? How can we help them have the best life that they can have? Yeah. That's what it's all about, isn't it? The best life that they can have. And I think Ben's living his best life. He does things he wants. He stimulates himself. He's got, he loves books. He loves audio books. We read every night at bedtime. You know, he has such a love and interest of the things that he relates to. And he's learnt. We've progressed. Yeah, and all that um, uh, support you gave him in those very early years. And as Absolutely. You said- I do wonder if he hadn't had any of that support, I wonder if he would be talking now. You know, he might have relied on other things. Yeah, Well, it's been really fabulous hearing from you, Sarah, and I love that you've just talked about Ben living his best life now. 
I think that's a, a nice way for us to end. Thank you so much for your time and uh, insights. And it's been nice meeting Ben too. He came on before we started to say hello and uh, knowing that we were talking about him when he was a little boy. It's all about him, Carrie. It's all about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Lovely meeting you. Thank you, Carrie. Bye-bye. One of the beauties of hearing from families is the insights and wisdom they share. By talking with us today, Sarah has raised our awareness about the early signs of autism, thorough diagnostic assessment, and the benefits of early support. Sarah talked with us about Ben being a gorgeous, cuddly baby, but she was worried about his development. She noticed that he wasn't babbling and about his lack of facial expression and disinterest in exploring. She was also worried about his hearing because he didn't respond to people. These difficulties of social interaction and communication are just some of the very early signs of autism that parents might notice. Sarah was keen to better understand Ben's learning and development, despite other people trying to relieve Sarah of her worries by suggesting that boys are slower to talk and he just needed time. She went on to seek help. She enrolled him in a good preschool and got support from some therapists. Sarah described a thorough assessment that for Ben led to a diagnosis of autism and global developmental delay. She had Ben's vision and hearing tested. She saw a maternal and child health nurse and then a paediatrician and psychologist. Sarah said that the diagnosis gave the family a way forward and the help they needed at that time. In amongst all of this, what I loved hearing was Sarah talk about Ben now that he's a young man living his best life. If you're worried about your child's development, talk with someone you trust, like your maternal and child health nurse or GP, who can refer you to a paediatrician. If you want to learn more about the early signs of autism and good diagnostic assessment, visit amaze at amaze.org.au or the Raising Children Network website at raisingchildren.net.au. They can lead you to the information you need. There's also the Autism CRC website at autismcrc.com.au that offers more comprehensive information for those that are interested. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.